This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Oh, I know there's a fucking metronome on it. Uh, oh, hang on. Oh, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films, and more that have never been staged before, or are never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we'd stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello. In person again. In person at two weeks Look in at a this. row. Like a year and a half break, and we just, we keep on well. going at it. <laughs> um, and this week, we are joined by a director whose credits include Fisherman's Friends at the Hall for Cornwall, and Midnight Gang, Random Generations, and Me and My Girls as Resident director at Chichester Festival Theatre, it's Max Lindsay. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for having me. No thanks worries. Thanks for being here. Yeah. How, how are you? Doing really good, getting used to being back in London after being in Cornwall for a month, so it's it's quite weird to see people outside after 5.30pm. <laughs> uh, it's just a strange sensation, but it's lovely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah a bit of a culture shock. <laughs> so you've been in Cornwall doing Fisherman's Friends the Musical? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Been uh, reopening the Hall for Cornwall uh, after it's had a massive redevelopment for the last three years and it's, it's been shut. And we've been doing this brilliant Cornish tale uh, of the real-life band Fisherman's Friends, um, which is... Ours is kind of adapted from the film um, and very, very loosely based on the truth. <laughs> infinitesimally small amount that is actually connected to uh, the band as it is, uh, apart from their brilliant success and their brilliant singing and uh, their brilliant uh, wit and humour and rowdy boozing. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of it is... Just our version, our tape. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> this is incredibly exciting for us because we come on this every single week and try to adapt a film for stage. But you did it recently. You were yeah. you were a big part of making that happen. What was it? What What was it like trying to like capture something that is originally cinematic, like in a theatrical space? It's a really good question. Um, I think we we definitely had to change a few things so there were a, a few kind of moments within the film that were kind of beautifully cinematic moments that kind of you looked really gorgeous and were really kind of impactful in that way and it's like okay how do we make that work for the stage um and how do we get a, a sense of cornwall the visuals with what ended up being just one set so it was really about kind of understanding that world and um and trying to think trying to get trying to take all of the kind of influences that we had um and adapt what the film gave us and be able to heighten it i think heighten it in a theatrical way there are certain bits that work really like i said that work really well on film that just wouldn't have worked well in the uh in theater um you know there's a beautiful moment in the film where um spoiler alert uh the character of jago <laughs> kind of has a very peaceful lovely passing where he's just looking out over cornwall he's spoken about his land how he how much he loves it 
And if we did that on stage, it would just be a little bit of an anticlimax. Um, mm. And it, it just it would not have the same impact that it does in the film. Um, so ours became, because a lot of the fishermen uh, were part of the RNLI uh, and the lifeboat rescue, uh, and that's a big part of, uh, of Port Isaac, where the fishermen's, fishermen come from, that it became a whole lifeboat rescue moment that his, his actual passing happened in the film. Um, and it then became this really visually impactful thing where we were kind of, you know, had, were creating the storm in a very kind of um, theatrical way uh, mm. that was not kind of high tech, but very much us making the, um, the storm. And uh, that seemed to work. Yeah. So, yeah well, I, I absolutely loved the adaptation stage. And I thought as well, like just as simple as like framing so much more of the first act around the pub. Yeah. And making it like just simple stuff, like just changing the setting of certain scenes so that they all can happen in one place. Yeah. And actually, I thought that that opened up way more in terms of like stuff, like just seeing the the wit of the fishermen's friends bouncing off each other. I thought that just opened the door to so much more of that on stage. So it's sort yeah. of yeah, you kind of yeah, and it's funny it makes the I, most of it. Yeah, I can I can totally see why they didn't do that in the film because they were filming in the actual Golden Lion, the pub, which is tiny to actually fit yeah. all of those people into. So it makes total sense that they would go out. But for us, we had to think about those those locations, those one locations that we could kind of use. Uh, and yeah, Amanda Whittington, who adapted it, kind of had this brilliant take on it, just being in the pub and giving us all of this wonderful information and wit and humor and silliness and play um within the pub setting because that as they talk about in the film and in the play uh it is the heart of port isaac that little pub so mm. that had to be kind of like the heart of the musical as well well i'm really excited for this then because i think over the last couple of years when we've been make, making this podcast we often ask ourselves similar questions each week about how we'd adapt things to the stage but because we've never actually had to do it i feel like maybe there's some big questions we're missing out on and maybe max you'll be able to open our eyes to some of those and we'll be able to keep asking those for weeks and weeks to come um but you mentioned God, you're titans. putting a lot of pressure on me here <laughs> um but you, you, you mentioned heightened and i think one thing we might not need to do with this film is heightened um, <laughs> because you have brought us uh uh, a brilliant film uh the 1999 drop dead gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> a comedy a mockumentary comedy directed by uh, michael patrick yen and uh written by lona williams with the one of the craziest all-star casts i've ever seen Insane. i could list the names for for the rest of the episode of this podcast but i'll name a few kirsty alley of cheers fame kirsten dunst uh alison janney uh amy adams in her first uh feature film role i mean the list yeah. like goes on um max would you be able to give us a, a rundown before we dive in give us a rundown of, of the plot of this film yeah of course so like you said it's a mockumentary uh where it's following a small town beauty pageant in mount rose minnesota uh where they have gloriously midwest american accents um and uh it is uh, very much a, a a mix of a really dark comedy uh a really satirical look at small town america and some mixed with some really stupid comedy um 
as well as, and I'm sure we'll get onto this, having some uh, rather out-of-date comedy as well. And that's mm. going to be a real challenge to kind of look at. Um, but yeah, on the whole, um, it kind of follows this uh, group of, I think, about eight or nine uh 17-year-old girls in Mount Rose, Minnesota, who are being coached through uh, the Sarah Rose Cosmetics beauty pageant by uh, Kirstie Alley's character. Um, And as the film goes on, more and more of them get taken out and killed. Pence, drop dead, gorgeous. Uh, so there's this kind of beautiful mystery of uh, of who's taking them out, uh, and um, it's not a beautiful mystery; it's absolute carnage. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's just stupid. <laughs> and you kind of also you you just know who it is from like 20 minutes in. <laughs> yeah, well. I mean, you, you you absolutely know who it is. Um, uh, and uh, as it goes along, you're just like, yeah, obviously it's the Lehmans, it's Denise Richards and and Kirsty Alley kind of taking out the competition. But it's it's kind of so stupidly obvious, and then uh, it just comes with the, this uh, glorious finale as more and more people are taken out. That finally, um, uh, Denise Richards' character. Oh, I've completely forgotten her name now. Uh, she wins the pageant, but then at the parade, she ends up getting uh, blown up in a swan uh, that was uh, had a little bit too much petrol uh, added to it. Uh, and so um, Kirsten Dunst's character goes on to the uh, the kind of the, the regional finals, which has the beautiful, beautiful <laughs> moment of ridiculousness where uh, she then succeeds in going through to the finals because uh, all of the contestants get poisoned with seafood and are just throwing up all over the um, uh, the, the space where they are uh, doing the show um, and it's utter, utter carnage um, and uh, has Alison Janney at her absolute best in that moment where she's yeah. uh, just shagged a random cameraman and then as they're all being sick she comes on out and just says oh I hope they didn't hear us um, uh, yeah it's brilliant it's uh, stupid uh, and endlessly quotable and uh, yeah I think my favourite film <laughs> <laughs> and Jake and I just had no idea what we were getting ourselves in for when we turned it on as well which is, is great like you had sort of briefly described it to me and I was like oh that sounds like a lot of fun and it's just it's it's just so much more erratic than you would expect it to be in the best way. Like, it's yeah. just like, it just, it's just cutting to these like little like miniature scenes outside of the main story and like these little sketches and things. And it relies so much on like this really clever, well-observed character comedy. Yeah. Um, and as you said, it also relies like so much on this like realization of like Midwest America and like mm. Minnesota and that um that town which i was saying i was saying like part way through like it could so easily have been set in like deepest darkest texas or something and been like a really like obvious version of this but actually by doing it in minnesota i felt like it had like there was something like very unique in in the kind of comedy it was bringing out of that setting for as sure. well for sure for sure for sure all of that all of the um, ridiculously horrible food that is seemingly kind of like intrinsic to, to Minnesota, like <laughs> fish in jelly or something. And, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just all, all of those things that are, are, are so delightful. Um, and then, and like I said before, just the ridiculous, ridiculous accents that are, are, that are 
I would provide <laughs> some of the the, the joy, um, which seemingly just, no one had a handle on as well. <laughs> just, but it just didn't matter. Wildly, wildly all over the place, and that's <laughs> what, again I love about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, so we've got uh, this big ensemble cast set across a whole town and then later on a whole state. Uh, lots of characters, uh, a whole town to create. Uh, we didn't even mention the dead boyfriend. Lots uh, lots of lots of uh, murder. Three massive explosions. Yeah. <laughs> um, what it sounds to me is it ripe for a stage play. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, ha- <laughs> Any any ideas on how we might put this onto the old boards? <laughs> I mean, personally, I just think it is absolutely right to be a musical. Like it yeah, just makes yeah. perfect sense. There's so many moments in there that you know are, are kind of already musical. So you've got the opening of that gloriously stupid advert that they're playing to the um these potential pageants uh with Adam West kind of talking about the value of becoming a Sarah Rose <laughs> beauty pageant. And uh, and then cutting to that really beautiful moment where um uh, it's uh, you know he says oh uh, you could be a, a pageant in beautiful and then it goes to a really computerized sound saying Mount Rose Minnesota uh, <laughs> and it's all got that kind of like weird slightly shaft kind of Isaac Hayes feel to it at the beginning of that kind of like trying to be slightly sexy interesting weird music that's a whole opening mm. that is just spectacular that then ha- then gets absolutely cut down by um uh, oh, the woman who's recorded over the video with time of our lives or whatever that shit soap is in america (laughs) um so there's a silliness of that i mean absolutely have to keep in uh denise richard's character uh singing um uh, i can't take my eyes off of you uh to uh, (laughs) jesus christ literally stapled to the cross as her special talent in the beauty pageant just like a paper paper mache version of jesus (laughs) she's sat there like taking his hands off and putting them around her and she's and then it's like (laughs) the beautiful ending of her literally carrying him off as if she's like carrying christ on the cross (laughs) off the stage and i scream (laughs) at that every single time (laughs) Um, there's so much Um, but then also there's like things like that I can totally hear being turned into songs like when Kirstie Alley is um, talking through all of the themes of the various last years and it's variations on American and you know it's like by American and uh, they're like what's your favourite one can you remember that she's Ameri can. It's just so <laughs> stupid. It's so yes, stupid. Yeah. Uh, but there's a, I think there's a whole like song of like her choosing the themes, you know, where she sits there and says, I don't know where I get them from. It's a gift yeah. from God. <laughs> 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 it's so stupid. Um, and there's, uh, I'm thinking even like you could, do, you could do a number with the, the introduction of the three judges oh, totally. is done through these like three, like Vox pop style, yeah. like things. 
Um, and the third one as well is like it's like Mr. Lehman for a long oh, time talking, yeah. and then it only it pans at the end to like the ju- the actual judge who's like his assistant, um, and she doesn't say a word for the whole film. <laughs> um, and I, I just think as well like doing like this great introductory song would make even more of that punchline because he could have a whole solo, and then at the end it just pans and he's not even the judge. Well, it doesn't it doesn't pan in theatre, no, but no, you know, no, no. figure it out. Well, you just um, have a nice lighting <laughs> shift, and then it goes to indeed. Uh, yeah. the uh, lights of the camera of the theatre. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, brilliant! I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Are we done? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Good. Thank you very much. Um, I, yeah, I think like I, I guess I guess the first question I have is like if in this sort of musical version do we completely do away with the mockumentary framing device and just sort of have it as here we are in Minnesota. Or no, not in Minnesota. In yeah, yeah, sorry. Here we are in Minnesota, um, and we are gonna tell you this story, and then we're gonna be on the pageant stage, and then we're gonna be backstage, and then et cetera, et cetera. Or do we want to somehow keep in this sort of because the documentary makers are characters yeah. in the in the film? Um, yeah, I think because there's think? there's kind of like almost two ways you could do it. Yeah, absolutely, you could just. Uh, play it up as a story that it just unfolds in front of you and you do away with the mockumentary uh, vibes um although it loses those fun jokes of like oh my god are we on cops uh from loretta alice and janney's character um uh and you can, and i think i think that would probably be the easiest way to do it i think there's totally with a good adapter uh, for the book that's probably the easiest way to do it and to just get rid of those cameras altogether or you could kind of go down the come from away kind of vibe where there is a lot of talking to audience there is a lot of description and yet there are scenes that happen in and amongst it i just don't know what necessarily that device is whether it is a a kind of verbatim kind of vibe or what i think maybe uh maybe there's a way of doing this where it flirts more explicitly with like the idea of theatricality and so we never tell you this is a documentary framing device but everyone kind of talks to the audience as if they know they're there and so you kind of like just you kind of do away with the device but you use all of the like all of the like humor that it allows you to have by just having this world in which everyone can talk to the audience and just knows they're there and like I guess doesn't quite know they're in a play but definitely knows that they're being watched in a way and maybe there's a way you can just yeah play with that idea and make it like almost almost close to like pantomime in a way right like everyone just knows the audience is there and they can just say hi uh, but they never need to acknowledge why the audience can see them I'm, yeah. think, I'm thinking of Mean Girls, which I haven't seen the whole musical, but the clips I've seen, like it opens with uh, the first number is uh, uh, No Ordinary Tale or whatever. Um, what's it, what is it called? I, I don't know. know. Anyway, the, the, fir- <laughs> the first number starts with the first number starts with the two um, sort of main non-lead characters, uh, sort of cautionary tale. That's it. Sort of uh, telling the audience that what they're about to see is is sort of is is going to be weird and like preparing them for it but then after that we don't they don't really they, they don't exactly acknowledge that they're in a musical but then sometimes they do like there's that um the halloween song where the character asks the song to start again like there's like it sort of seems like they sort of play with the idea but they never like commit to it and i wonder whether we could do something like that where we just sort of well cheat i guess 
But um, I mean, it but works I, well, very no, well for I Mean think, Girls. I think you could. I'm yeah. firstly, I'm massively impressed by your Mean Girls the musical knowledge. Um, it's excellent. I didn't know you had that in your locker, but um, <laughs> I think. I, I think you, you, but you can, you can do that and you can fully commit to it and you can just make the most of the idea. And maybe it's about changing who's talking to the audience in, in whatever scene. So it's not everyone talking to the audience all the time. Or maybe you make it only certain characters talk to the audience often. But I think there's a way that you can just, you can just say, yeah, like the fourfold doesn't really matter. Like we can just interact freely. And I think that that might be the, because part of what's so, good about the film is that you know all of the characters are being honest all the time <laughs> and like and that yeah. means that when they're horrible terrible people um you know that they they are horrible terrible people like you that you don't have to hide any of it and i think to try yeah. and like make them act more normal on stage would take away a lot of that yeah yeah, I agree. I think having that kind of chaotic relationship with an audience, knowing all the relationship with the audience kind of fits with the kind of chaotic vibe of the film as well. Um, I don't think we need to go into this kind of going, this is going to be a really highbrow piece of Tom Stoppard-esque art. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're yeah. coming in for a bit of a laugh at, at, uh, at Small Town Americana. Yeah. Well, and we were saying as well, like, although this is, although there is clear satire, in the end, like the film, it doesn't really say very much at all. Like, it's just there for like pure chaotic fun. And so I think that there is something about bringing that onto stage. You don't need some like grand overarching like message necessarily. No, but I think there is, um, there is something in, uh, in the way that we would need to update and adapt some of the more out-of-date elements of it that could have a much more interesting poke at modern Mm. 21st century post-Trump small-town America Mm. that would be really interesting. Like the three judges, um, I think the quiet woman is great because it's just wonderful that she's just there and says nothing. I think actually, weirdly, the the guy perving over the girls still works. Because <laughs> yeah, it still is works. kind yeah. of awful and horrible, and also comedic at the same time. And I love making an audience kind of go, "Oh, yeah, yeah." Um, but then the third judge with uh, the you know the put on uh, special needs of his son is yeah. just awful. Oh, and absolutely. I don't, I don't think I've ever actually laughed at it. Yeah. Um, and it's it absolutely needs to go so what if you take um because there's also in there when whenever someone gets murdered it kind of cuts to those two police officers who are sat there going oh well it was just a casual little bonfire <laughs> that blew up that trailer park yeah. oh we didn't know anything about it so are they in on it as well or is mm. it do you take um the mayor of the town and you know he's paid off by the richest family the lehmans yeah um there's something in there that feels like it could kind of, there are other characters that could be that person and be uh, just as satirical, just as poking fun at that small town American vibe without it being hideously, hideously offensive, yeah. which is yeah, what absolutely. That, that character is. I mean, it's just dreadful. Yeah, but no, yeah. definitely. I And yeah, there were definitely things that needs to be updated. And that was probably the primary one because it comes up so much in the film as well. Yeah. Um, I, lo- I mean, I love the idea of like a, 
you know a police officer that's like in the pocket of the lemons being the judge and being and like you can do like a whole thing of like that that police officer that's like who's like really high and mighty about their job and like a real job's worth but is also like massively corrupt and i think there's something quite fun about doing that as well um would you then so would you set it now in 2021 or would you keep that setting of the late 90s but just use it to like show us like you know satirize now yeah that's a really good question um i think i i i always love um films pieces of theater that can kind of go back in time and show us that whole phrase of like history repeating itself mm. and going this was then but nothing's really changed and in a way it's got worse or whatever yeah um and so maybe it is that it is just still set set because the film is set in 1995 oh of course yeah yeah so it's, it's even further back than the the release of 1999 um so i don't know maybe there's maybe there's something in that is there yeah is there some other period of recent times or of in the last kind of you know 25 years that would be of interest 95 kind of feels like it's just around clinton lewinsky yeah there's anything to set in there i don't know um i think there is something fun about this idea that like there was so much commentary around trump that was like who knew small town America was as crazy as this? Who knew? And I just, and I, and, but like, it, it's always been there, right? Like it's always been yeah. these, like these places that are like, you know, they tell, they tell you on the face that they are like deeply biblical people. And yet, you know, they don't practice what they preach whatsoever. And they have these like completely backward <laughs> ideas about how to run their town. And, and like in the film, like there's people who are just completely like maniacal. Um, and, but they're walking around as if they're normal people. And I think there, maybe there is something interesting of like setting it in 1995, but like having some explicit references to like modern day, maybe even having like one of these like beauty pageant moments where we like are seeing the national thing have like Donald Trump as a character briefly, but like Donald Trump as the businessman of the nineties or something. Maybe, maybe Donald Trump is the Adam West character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that could be a way of like, just framing the whole story as like a look back into the past, but to show you that like small town America was always this thing that we've now seen it be on like the national, their national stage. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right, I want I want to think about some songs. Okay. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's do it. I loved your idea of the of the opening number. Remind remind us what it was. It was well. There's the the opening to the film is a, a, a video, a kind of like almost advertisement for the potential pageants uh, of all across the uh, the United States that has Adam West kind of leading this advertising campaign uh, in uh, a deliciously leery kind of old Adam West kind of way mm. um, that, that has a kind of like a slightly weird... Like, have you ever seen... There's a brilliant, um, like, 
Miss America from like the mid nineties, where this super super white woman tries to sing, and I am telling you, I'm not going from Dreamgirls. You know the big belting number that Jennifer Hudson does in the film, and it is the whitest thing I've ever <laughs> ever seen. And that opening song feels like it's kind of like the whitest version of Shaft by Isaac Hayes you could humanly possibly imagine. <laughs> like trying to be sexy but actually being really pervy and weird. Yeah. And there's something about that and the kind of them trying to kind of like come across as beautiful pageant girls. And I think there's something uh beautifully ridiculous about that. Um yeah. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And also, I think we could also like lean into this idea of like, um, uh, because he mentions like the the all these girls are seventeen, and then we have the like the pedo character as we go on, and like the sort of discourse that's maybe no, it, it hasn't finished happening. Uh, it feels like it should have the, about you know the sort of like uh Britney Spears only being sixteen in that video, and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff about like the sort of sexualization of of um of young women um and that male that male gaze which is yeah. really interesting that it was written by a, a, a woman um who is clearly poking fun of that that, that male mm, gaze even yeah. that kind of you know long ago um so yeah there's something really interesting in kind of in in poking at that there yeah yeah because that's there's because we've, we've talked about sort of like the the r word and well we haven't said they use the r word they use the r word a lot um but the the sort of the the, the character that's supposed to have some kind of learning disability and then uh but then there's also all, all sorts of characters have loads of other ridiculously problematic views mm. but in a way the writing and the way it's shot is telling us that those are wrong yeah and so it mm-hmm. sort of softens that slightly um which i think is interesting um as a sort of as a sort of thing we can sort of still do in a sort of look how ridiculous these views are sort of way maybe yeah. maybe not to quite the same extent but i also think it's a really fun challenge as an adaptation to go how do you take something that has um slightly problematic uh presentations of people and how do we update it so that we actually kind of I hate comedy that punches down. So it's, it's, you know, hello, Dave Chappelle recently. Um, and that whole idea of, of finding ways to kind of punch up a little bit or punch at that hypocrisy or mm. attack it in a slightly different way is actually a really fun challenge mm. uh, rather than grumbling about, oh, we can't make comedy the way we used to. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Terry, Gill- Der- Terry Gilliam has been like that recently. Yeah. And also the guy who made um, the airplane films. Oh, I couldn't possibly make comedy now. It's, I, couldn't, I don't know what I'd say. Oh, well, work fucking harder. Yeah. You can find stuff, you fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, no, I completely <laughs> um, agree. But there's, it's, it's, there's so much fun to, to pick at in small town America, in, in post-Trump, in, in all that stuff that's been bubbling under that's mm. kind of re-emerged. There's so much that is ripe to, to pick at and adapt in a really interesting new way. And what this film gives us is a protagonist who is like, is working class and, and is like, you know, 
is like just I don't know almost saintly in the way that she just like is nice yeah. to everyone um and and just is just working her hardest to be able to like achieve she works at the care home and the funeral parlor yeah, and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just dressing and, up dead and bodies. at the uh, at the washing up counter in a school as well she yes. has three jobs and three and jobs she as goes, well as school and the beauty pageant and She's she working. goes and looks after um the previous uh, beauty pageant yeah. winner as well <laughs> Um, just too much time uh, yeah Yeah. (laughs) she's gonna fail school but no Um, but i but i guess that's kind of the point right is like it's so easy to root for her and to laugh at everyone else because she's so obviously like the best person in that entire town um and the only one who like deserves the thing she gets what's even funnier then is that the only reason she gets anything is because other people die and there's so much you can make of that as well yeah oh gosh well uh, so i guess that's the next song then because we that we we meet all of these pageant contestants don't we yeah um and i and that's 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 surely their next number isn't it Oh, for sure. There was a, I was uh, literally watching just before we started uh, up this podcast, and I'd completely missed it. But in th- one of the kind of first shots of the uh, of the pageant girls, there's like almost like the school motto uh, written up on a big banner behind them, which I thought it was gloriously ironic as well, because I think the the phrases were charity, fidelity, and justice. <laughs> And I mean, come on, in a play where, you know, the, the most virtuous woman in the town in Kirstie Alley's character who's God-fearing, who shuns anyone who's kind of, you know, slightly lewd or drinks alcohol, they, that has such a, a, a brilliant startup to kind of say, this is the world that you're coming into. We're, we're pure and we're so kind of, yeah. Um, uh, yeah wonderfully christian yeah. um uh, in that way that is so hypocritical when you actually reveal their true selves i think that's almost like the title of the song charity fidelity justice <laughs> you kind of just oh. see it kind of being unpicked as you sit there and go these people are nuts there's a great meta textual um layer to that as well because kirsty alley is a trump supporter <laughs> oh isn't it just and a massive scientologist yeah 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 an anti-vaxxer and all that oh <laughs> she's nuts do you know do you know the only reason that she she's the only member of uh of the cheers cast who is still alive who didn't appear on fraser uh, and the reason she didn't go on there is because fraser is a psychologist and yeah. in scientology they don't believe in psychologists <laughs> like psychologists are like unicorns and imaginary beings i mean no they want to nuts. they want them killed they, there's there, there's certain sects of scientology that want psychiatrists murdered what? It's, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Mad. It's uh, <laughs> so crazy. It's a lot. If it, uh, that, absolutely insane. John Ronson's the psychopath test has a lot of stuff about that. Yeah. Um. <sighs> uh, but yeah, but this this song would be a, a fantastic ramp up. Then, just like the film. In fact, I feel like the film almost doesn't make enough of it. Where it sort of ramps up. Where we're like, okay, we're meeting this person, meeting this person, meeting this person, and we oh, we're like, oh, how are we going to keep track of all these people? And then we right at the end, we, we we don't meet them until the very last person we meet. They're like, hello, I win at everything, and we're like oh okay maybe this person's gonna be interesting maybe they're gonna win and they immediately die (laughs) (laughs) Tammy Curry Um, which I think is just a brilliant like ramp in the song like we can like get more and more frantic and then eventually we meet this person and then the song just sort of ends on it could just end as a funeral like march yeah this like (laughs) or just like explosion into the funeral march yeah Yeah, totally 
Yeah. And it's, it's that yeah. lovely thing. My, one of my favorite things about that is that, uh, is the, um, that she's uh, on a thresher uh, and the, uh, she says the only reason, uh, I think Kirsten Dunst says the only reason that she likes it is that she likes that sitting on the vibrations of the thresher <laughs> yeah, and that she only think. has a cigarette after her ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, so there's so much fun to be having with that, yeah. Then leading up to the funeral, the first death. I think in the, I think that first death needs to come fairly quickly so that we kind of know what we're getting into. Yes, we're not. It's, it is a satirical look, but it's also going to go a little bit further than you might yeah. imagine. Oh, and the second one as well, actually, because what, I think what happened when I was watching the film is I was like, right, okay, there's the death, so we're going to spend the rest of the film working out who did it. Nope, nope, we're just going to keep killing people. Yeah, we're going to keep dying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they come thick and fast. Um, <laughs> yes, and there's some that are just yes. like. So there's a boy called, I think, Brett or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah that's who, right. Who, like, sort of, like, flirts a bit with um, uh, with Kirsten Dunst's character and it, like, upsets the, like, Lehman daughter. And then uh, yeah. and then the next we see him is in the morgue ready for Kirsten Dunst <laughs> to, like, clean up. And it's just, like, it's so crazy because the reveal is just, like, she's just doing her job and stuff. And then she just, like, pulls back the cloth and he's just lying there dead having been shot in the head. Dead. Yeah, <laughs> but that, that, that's the one moment is that her character doesn't seem to care about that, which I find odd. Well, I think she's a bit. Oh, no, she does. She's just trying not to make too much of a deal out of it because it wasn't that big a deal. You know, they weren't dating or anything. It was yeah, just a flirtation. Um, well, and also because which the whole thing, right, is that like all she cares about is is like winning all these pageants so she can get out of uh, the town. Uh, which is why, like, it's um, we didn't even mention like the the like punchline of the film is that they arrive. She arrives at the nationals, and um, oh, what's the company called? <laughs> Something Sarah Rose. Rose Cosmetics. Sarah Rose, yeah, Sarah Rose Cosmetics um, has been like done for like tax avoidance and yeah. has had to like close down <laughs> after fifty years of doing this pageant, and and then like all the like pageant girls just go crazy and start destroying the building, and she just like gets back on the bus, ready to go back home. Yeah. I just think. She's, yeah. she's done she's done yeah i think um there's something really funny about like how much is placed upon her just wanting to get out of this small town and then the ending is just that like oh that's not gonna happen because some big corporation has been done for tax avoidance mm, i love my musicals yeah. with a lovely upbeat message yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know she wins in the end because she takes over from the woman who gets shot by kirsty alley once she's escaped from prison that's true. <laughs> becomes yeah. a new diane sawyer that's true obviously, obviously. she gets what she wants <laughs> i like i like if we do a version of this where um we could do like a like a, a a various variational ending or whatever where like one night a week we find out that it's actually that character that's murdering everyone yeah. so that they can move up in the world. <laughs> that would be great. Um, brilliant, and then because and then it, it moves on with such pace because then we then we meet the judges. I guess we can sort of have a sort of another mirror song where we we start meeting all these judge characters and we've already discussed who they'd yeah. be. So I guess we don't need to spend too long on that. Yeah. And then before long, we're at the sort of rehearsal uh, outside where they they introduce this dance number, which will later come back for brilliant comedic. <laughs> um, and we just sort of have the pedo guy who's there with his with his. Well, that's what he is. Isn't no, he? it is what it is. It is what it is. He's there with his camcorder, being like, "Oh, this. Oh, this is just something I have for insurance purposes." <laughs> um, He's also always smoking in every single shot. Always smoking. Um, yeah. He also yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just 
that guy just holds this incredible half smile that like you can't yes. tell whether he's smiling or not. <laughs> Oh dear! Oh dear! Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's there's so, there's so much brilliant physical comedy in that as well. Like mm. the bless her, the the girl who has my possibly my favourite line in the whole film of when the whole theme is um, proud to be an American, and they all come out with different things that they're proud to be an, an American in the opening number, and she comes out with a ball of yarn on her head, <laughs> and it drops off, and she just goes, I think I misunderstood the assignment. <laughs> that's the whole number in itself. Yeah. That's, that's a key, key line for me. <laughs> but like her, like, you know, dropping down and sitting on one of the stands, like in that physical comedy way, like there's so much carnage that you could have yeah. with them trying to uh, to perform with, you know, Becky, Denise, Becky Lehman, Denise Richards' character just being the perfect one who can get it all right and everyone, and Amber being the dancer as well. And mm. um, that so many of the others are just a little bit useless at it. Is there a version of this then that that is just set? We like the show opens at the opening of the pageant, and we somehow learn all the other information sort of through other context, and the whole thing is just the pageant. Was that too much? I, Maybe that's an interesting idea. I had been thinking about doing it where you have like a relatively short first act of like an hour, maybe less. But then we open the second act with the pageant and it mm. runs for like half an hour or 40 minutes and we yeah. get the whole pageant um, almost in real time. And then the, everything that happens after that could happen like, because it happens pretty quickly in the film, like of her going to the regionals mm -hmm. and then going to the national. It's just stuff. far less interesting once that's over. Well, exactly. Yeah. That can all happen in like, you know, maybe you have a number for the like the the procession outside, mm. and then you have like a final yeah. like a finale style number where we like rush through the rest of the plot quickly into like some kind of fun finale. Mm. Um, but like, I think there's a way of doing it where you get the opportunity to show the whole pageant, but also we do get all of that backstory to yeah. all the characters in a fun yeah, way. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, the next thing we get before the pageant then is is uh is the attempt on uh the the mother's life. <laughs> Um, oh my word. Where the caravan gets blown oh. up. Um, and again, we have these sort of filmic devices of like, uh, like found footage of like from the police of the caravan breaking, blowing up. And where they, oh, it's, they get, there's these two kids on a film and they go three, two, one, and that's when it blows yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> has to be, has to be. <laughs> and then the beautiful thing of having the mum, um, uh, having her hand literally glued to her oh. can of beer that is like melted <laughs> into the can of beer, and then and then later on, as it goes on, where she's had to have her hand amp amputated and she's just got a hook, and she's then later yeah. on trying to open up a can of beer with a. <laughs> <laughs> that moment is so that reveal in the hospital of her hand being fused to the can of oh. beer is so horrible, and it's, it's like so it is brilliant. funny, but it's also like. It's just is that a horrible thing of like you can't look but you also can't look away. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's a great effect. Um, I can't wait to see how the props department deals with that. Um, <laughs> so but, much fun to be had. What we do have then though is this lovely. Well, no, it's not really lovely. This sort of weird conversation between the mother and the daughter. This very like heart to heart, and the mother convinces the daughter to carry on with the pageant despite the fact that she's clearly going to get murdered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I I like the idea of this being like a um like a nice like duet that's like has all the kind of classic tropes of of like 
you know, I'm open, pouring my heart out to you. Here's what I want. And, and one convincing the other, like a real, like, uh, like, what's it called? Like 12 o'clock number, whatever it's called, 11 o'clock, whatever it is. That's it. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but the content is like, ridiculous yeah i kind of yeah. i quite yeah. like that yeah. as an idea totally yeah. totally, yeah. totally. <laughs> that, that brilliant moment where it, she's you know she literally tries to knock her out with the can that's still attached to her hand <laughs> because she threatens to quit it you know is is, is sublime ridiculousness and but yeah a kind of a, a, a kind of a, like overly sincere song with absolute like threats coming through yes. like, yeah. with absolute passion and beauty and warmth and charm while she's telling her i will fuck you up if you quit this yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> no, but then can end in that lovely thing of where she's saying i i love that line of uh, if i could do it all over again i would walk out of this town the first time i could take a step and i think that's a really kind of powerful line of of uh, of you know a woman trying to kind of take control of her life and it kind of being ripped away from from her for whatever reason mm. um so there is a kind of a, 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 a beautiful ridiculousness that you can have going throughout it ending with actual sincerity and actual kind of empowerment of her daughter uh that i think can actually really twist that around and make you go oh we actually really do love the mum, even though she is very chaotic yeah well because that was one thing i felt was slightly missing certainly in the first like hour and a bit of this film was like any real sense of pathos because although we although we root for Kirsten Dunst's character it takes a long time for us to realize we're rooting for her and even then there's a long time for us to really realize like how much it means to her and and to care about how much it means to her and to realize the stakes of of that and so I think I but I think music is a way in which you can make that more explicit I think as well, like the idea of being able to introduce some kind of like motif to it that is like that she does have emotional attachment to. The thing I'm thinking of just because it's a musical musical is like her her tap dance. Yeah. Like to be able to like that's like shown very early on and then she does it in the show. But like to bring that as a real through line that can be like used. There are like tap breaks in like several numbers that kind of show how much it means to her. I think there's opportunity, loads of opportunities there to like introduce real pathos into her character and her arc. Is this Billy Elliot? It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird small town America version, yeah. Um, but like going back to what we said earlier of the the amount of jobs that she has, the amount of work mm. that she puts in, that could be a whole number of a whole mm. tap number of her going through the various jobs, doing work at school, in uh, in the care home, in the funeral home, at the school, uh, the effort that she puts in of constantly, constantly working um, yeah. through that kind of medium of tap and song would be really, really cute. And you could frame that around like a dance rehearsal and then you get to introduce that mm-hmm. that relationship between her and the choreographer which never really yeah. is introduced but is kind of used you could kind yeah. of introduce it through a number like that yeah for sure that's yeah that's really lovely I, I, so the next thing we have just before we get to the pageant is is these is these interviews um which i guess is just a thing people do in pageants there's, i think there's a lot of assumptions in this film about like what the what a pageant process is which i don't have yeah um this is where we get some of the most problematic stuff pretty much every character uses a slur in this section <laughs> um but i think what 
this section does it just gives us a little bit more time with each character and especially the ones that are going to come up as important later when they help our protagonist mm. and also reminds us of how horrible the sort of antagonist is mm. and i think that's sort of the main point and there's just sort of room for another sort of fun montage you know sitting in a chair sort of thing here isn't there yeah, yeah for sure. No, I, and there's definitely like a kind of number like um I'm thinking about in Legally Blonde, the number where they introduce like who her classmates are going to be. And like one of them's like wants to be like this human rights lawyer. And she speaks really, she like sings really, really quickly. And then there's this guy who's like a, like a Arabian prince who's like got these long drawn out phrases and he's there for the like prestige of being at Harvard and stuff. I think like something similar to that where we really understand the characteristics of each um well understand the characteristics of each like young woman but also like understand their characteristic as like a pageant performer as mm. well because there's like a very specific like style that each of them is performing in i think mm. yeah i think there's something in as well of uh the way i kind of envisaged that was a musical number uh, uh, was um starting off just kind of introducing the interview and the pageant technique of you know answering you know in that very Becky Lehman way, a very pristine, polished, but also then the chaos of everyone else not really quite getting that polished pageant queen. Um, and then switching to the the absolute killer question that goes to Kirsten Dunst's character of mm. like name and spell out every single US state. And I think that's the the that's kind of almost the frame that the song then comes around is her kind of trying to go through all of the states because again you then get the gorgeous uh you know minnesotan accent of like (laughs) e-l-e-e-a-m-e um i can't do it justice but it is glorious (laughs) so that kind of becomes the frame of then all of these all of these potential pageant queens kind of coming Mm. up and singing about their kind of you know Again, like you say, we, we find out the different ways that they sing become uh, the kind of signatures of their characters uh, and the smoothness of Becky versus the chaos of the uh, the dog barking girl. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like there's 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 so much that um, that can inform of, the, of, of us of those characters whilst also having that lovely frame. And, and the, then the kind of the build of the joy of her actually getting to Wyoming and finishing it all off. Yeah, because she just sort of grows in confidence as she goes along. Yeah. Because for a second there, I thought you were going to pitch, like, just doing five minutes of her singing all the states, like, just that, which I was like, okay, let's do it. Like, <laughs> I would go for that, personally. I think it's so much fun. <laughs> just the idea of, like, uh, casting a British actor to, like, nail down all of that in a perfect, like, like, because, like, it's, like, famously, like, one of the hardest accents to do. The Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And Midwest stuff is mad, because there's so many influences. There's Dutch, Irish, German, British, like, it just is this mad combination of of nonsense. Exciting. Exciting (laughs) for an actor. Well, Um, because maybe that could take us up to, maybe then we get the the dress rehearsal Mm. where the stage light falls on one of their heads. Yeah. um, We have this brilliantly on the nose moment where, uh, no, it's good, where uh, the, (laughs) the, um, so one character is like my friend is having a baby can we swap numbers so i can go first yeah. and I, I literally said out loud as we were watching it caleb and i she's gonna die <laughs> <laughs> I was, she like got on stage she started dying so i was like yeah you're like she's gonna die i'm like stage light 
<laughs> stage light. And then the stage light falls on her head. Um, yeah. Um, so, and but that's maybe the one that... thing. I think, I think you go into this, like, you, you kind of know what's going to happen, so you're kind of waiting for it to happen, and that's the kind of the, the, the craft of the comedy, is you're waiting for it to happen. And mm. you know that she's going to get hit on the head, but at the same time, you've got Kirsty Alley sitting there saying, oh, you know, I feel really bad because all of these girls bar one is going to go home a loser. And I just don't know what that feels like. <laughs> and you're, wait- you're sat there waiting for this girl to get hit on the head with a, with a yeah. stage light, whilst also watching Kirstie be absolutely ridiculous and asshole. And that's just the, 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 the genius of it, I think. But, but I think maybe that moment and, and having the stage light fall and the chaos that follows could be our end of first act and our sort of yeah. curtain down moment yeah. to then come up on. And, and maybe we don't see the full like response to what happens and maybe there's like a question of like oh will the pageant be cancelled will it not or like whatever and then when we open for second act it just opens with just Kirsty Alley opening the pageant and so the audience is forced to go oh so they just went on with it anyway and they don't even care that she got hit by a stage like like moments before the, the pageant starts yeah because that does kind of pretty much cut straight to it doesn't it yeah yeah this this film does not take a moment to dwell on anyone's death apart from uh the like what's what's her name becky oh yeah yeah, yeah. becky lehman then that's right at the yeah. end yeah otherwise yeah. <laughs> it just moves right along even right up to when uh the 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 reporter character gets shot oh and my word she just takes up the microphone <laughs> and carries on um yeah well yeah so then okay then we've got the pageant itself which starts with does it start with the like paint thing or is there something before that no. uh no, no there's the starts you with um, proud to be an American where they all come out oh. and they have the different things that makes them proud to be an American yeah. and again that's a whole number in it's itself. already yeah it's like, already it's, like it made, is a number yeah. but it, it, you can totally add in more singing um, uh, more ridiculousness uh, I mean you know like there's all of that silliness of Brittany Murphy's character trying to light the the, the Statue of Liberty yeah. candle on her head <laughs> that physical comedy there's the ball of yarn that I've already spoken about there's Amy Adams with the washington monument using it almost like a dick and kind of yeah um being very very overly sexual with it um there's there's so much kind of fun and stupidity to have as a number within that both sung spoken um it's it's a number in itself and it's 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 glorious this shit just writes itself doesn't it Uh, yeah well so uh, the next thing is, I guess, we then we start moving between backstage and on stage, and I think we need to have the offstage space exist in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, the two options that are coming into my head are either like your classic revolve, uh, and then we're just yeah. backstage, or the sort of uh, the the pin recently in their West End show did this thing where like they would just sort of. They would just make it very clear through like a small like lighting change and just like the way they would come out from behind the curtain that even though nothing about the set had changed, now they were backstage, um, which is I guess another thing we could do. Because yeah. there's all I mean, these like it, mirrors and stuff like that. Yeah, and you can kind of split the stage off. Whether it's that uh, you know the backstage comes up at a different level, so we kind of have the main uh, the main pageant area as kind of downstage and close to the audience, so we know that that's the stage, and then we kind of put 
up another level we have the kind of the backstage dressing room kind of area mm. um that uh that i think that would work quite nicely as well because that would let us have this sort of like foreground but background comedy of like just random stuff that's not in the film happening on stage whilst we watch scenes on stage yeah i'm, um, al- I'm almost i oh, there's part of me though that does kind of like the idea of the revolve but like th- having the the stage suddenly be a lot smaller than it is in the film mm. um and and like more like you know if you went to like a school hall and just like built a small stage at the front and doing it like that because well firstly because this town is meant to have a population of only like five thousand. yeah <laughs> um, all of them come yeah, yeah like <laughs> all of them must be there but also like um i saw south pacific at just the festival theater recently and there's a whole section of that show where they're performing for you know like and well the the girls are performing for the men but also like there's lots of the boy the like men do different like little skits and things and it's rotating and we're seeing like snippets of the sketches and then snippets of what's happening backstage but then also it it builds towards this moment right at the end of that whole sequence where we just get this full rotation and we see like our four no our three is it three or four i can't remember there's like we see our principal cast members in like these different locations across the, the in front of the stage in the backstage area. And it's like this fully cinematic moment that they managed to capture in that. And again, like if we're trying to build in moments of pathos, like building in a moment where like it's all super chaotic and maybe this is just before uh, the tap routine or just after or something, just building in this moment where we have this like sweeping rotation that shows us all of our principal cast members and what they're doing in that moment mm, um, yeah, nice. to then lead on. I think that could work. Yeah, because so before we get to the tap, we have this like sequence where essentially they do the dance that we saw earlier, but they're, the paint's wet. So they just get paint <laughs> all over them. Um, and I just really want to actually have paint and then i just want every actor to have to get it off while everything else is going on like, but, like every thing, single thing that kind of the thing that kind of drives me up the wall about the film is that it that happens and then the paint they kind of sat there going oh my god i can't get the paint off and then it's just gone magically yeah yeah actually why don't we just have for the rest of their special talents they're all still covered in blue yes they're all still yeah. covered in blue paint and it's yeah, you know that. we're not going to get rid of it we're not we're not saying that they could get rid of it in two seconds and yeah, or they're like, the actors just have wipes and they're just allowed to, whenever they want, try and get it off. And I just, yeah. it just creates a lot of comedy. But yeah, um, that'd, be, that'd be brilliant. Then the frantically within kind of like, in the kind of, you know, other areas, frantically trying yeah. to get it off. But also like in moments on stage, they're still trying to kind of clear stuff off. Yeah, that'd be really Because <laughs> even if it was like two, like two scenes later and the pageant's like over, but they're still trying to get this blue paint off <laughs> yeah. at like the parade the next day <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, I think that, that'd, that'd be really funny. <laughs> so good. Um, we then enter uh, the bureaucracy section of the film <laughs> uh, where uh, the main character has their... What's their name? Is it Annette? No. Anyway, uh, something in that <laughs> where where the main it's character just, they're just all the people that they are though, aren't they? So that's just Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> you yeah, don't even think about one. oh Amber Adkins. That's it. That's oh, her name. Oh, right. yeah, uh, so then we have so we have this sort of bureaucracy moment where Amber Adkins has her dress stolen by who yeah. knows who. Um, <laughs> who could it be? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, and then and then proceeds to spend the next like five minutes of the film like trying to persuade various people to let her wear. A different thing mm. which is eventually solved when someone else like pulls out and gives her her costume which like the conceit of her not being allowed on is them just being like oh no the rules say you're not allowed on but then for some reason they just accept 
this one yeah well no, like, it's like you have to have okayed your costume beforehand yeah and this person yeah. had okayed their costume so when she drops out that costume is okay yeah but considering they don't want no it there, doesn't make sense they could just say they could just say <laughs> well that's not your costume make sense here. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, look this is the only part of this logic. film that doesn't make sense <laughs> this is i i it all tracks other than this and it makes me real mad um but yeah eventually of course uh she manages to to perform and then we have this like yeah this tap this billy elliott moment this yeah this, t- this tap number and it's genuinely like a a decent tap number but it also has this kind of like 90s uh flavor to it that also makes it completely ridiculous yeah because it's over like, like late late 90s kind of indie rock bullshit yeah. track that yeah. you're like oh god i'd forget that in two seconds if i heard yeah. it ever again she's tip ta- she's tip she's tapping away to like to the beat of like yeah there's like massive drum snares yeah yeah like it's just so <laughs> odd um but yeah well she does that and then she comes second and then she comes second and and amy adams is i guess like sexed up character comes third yeah uh but has absolutely no idea that she's come third she thinks she's yeah, come she, second yeah. and i love that as well <laughs> she's so delightfully dense she's so excited about coming being what is it second runner up and she the thinks second she's come second yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant brilliant there's a whole there's a whole number about revealing you know the winners obviously yeah. there's a whole there's a that's a whole kind of joyous number as well yeah and we just see more as well of like other people's parents all being shitty midtown midtown shitty midwest, sm- midwest. well no i don't want to be shitty about the midwest <laughs> shitty <laughs> shitty small town like uh backwards homophobic etc yeah. parents yeah yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah which yeah, is for sure. nice to investigate and then we have the parade and the massive swan <laughs> we're nearly there guys we um, we're nearly there. and we're building a massive swan that we burn every night is that what we're doing um yes my answer to that yes we talked about this exact same thing when we did the wicker man actually what did we come well, up with the solution with that was that you could build like a facade that you could burn but we were also doing an outdoor production so we it's were. quite different it was outside <laughs> could you build okay this okay again like you know i'm the budget is not a, an issue here. Could you build it like on a metal frame, but out of like um, that stuff magicians use, like flash paper, where it just burns oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. immediately, but doesn't like yeah, cause nice. any fires? Could that work? So you still yeah. have to get a new one every night. Yes. Yeah. 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 We're we're still saying this is costing like that moment is costing like ten thousand pounds a night. <laughs> blue sky. We're going blue sky thinking. Blue sky yeah, thinking yeah, here, yeah. people. <laughs> But otherwise, like if if that's that's the kind of the blue sky thinking. The other is just having some really really cool lighting that that gives the effect of the explosion, that gives us a sense of it. You know, we have like a rip away of all of the kind of the the surroundings of the swan. The white fur suddenly goes all up. We lose mm. Becky. We, we she disappears, and we just see this gutted swan mm. as uh, as. Uh, Becky's mum goes nuts and tells everyone <laughs> how she was planning on killing them all. Yeah. Oh, th- th- I think yeah, that I think that is a more doable idea. Yeah. The sort of like it's something we can take apart and put together, and you know, with the swell of the music and it all sort of explodes, but in a less literal way. Yeah. I think might be just more interesting to watch actually than just like you know oh what? that you was don't fire. Burn a giant swan every night. Oh look, oh look, fire! Yay! Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. 
And well, and also like if we're leaning into like this theatricality of it all as well, you can make that like a whole, you could even make that like a kind of uh, a sort of pastiche of like a physical theater moment where like yeah. everyone, maybe everyone suddenly is in all blacks, like <laughs> in their theater blacks and they're like pulling parts well, of the Well, because my favorite part about it is just before it happens, um, Becky, the, the, the one on the top of this one who dies, just goes... Oh no. <laughs> Which is fully like Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, she knows. She knows. She knows yeah, she's the next yeah. one out. Yeah. I, whereas whereas I would I would say it could be a really, really uh impressive uh reveal takeaway, kind of rip away of those sides of like the, the, the fluffy white papier mache version of the swan mm. that is just a kind of like a big rip away and we kind of uh have like a, a one of those brilliant i can't remember what they're called we used it in me and my girl where you literally just kind of like suck away a um uh, a cloth into the floor and it just kind of whips it away and kind of has a big release and uh it looks very very impressive and I, i'm gonna oh i, I know exactly I, what you mean did, um, it has we, a really it weird a, it name a, it was a kabuki drop um, uh, that we had, but then it's then the, the suck into the ground and it disappears as well. So I think there's something in that in creating like a kabuki drop that comes off of the swan and then gets yeah. sucked into the ground and we disappear and we just have the lights that kind of look like it's absolutely in flames. Yeah, yeah. Big explosion feel of it just being decimated in seconds. And I guess as well, like you get the feel of the explosion from the response of the town's people who are like... Some yeah. of them are like running over to like watch, and then like you just have the mayor who just starts applauding because he doesn't know what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> I think you have like yeah, you can, you kind of that's it. Like if you can build something that's spectacular enough to like wow the audience, you then get all of the like rest of it from the response of the of all the rest of the cast on on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you've absolutely got Kirsty Alley's like Rose's turn. Like this, this is her weird, fucked up version of Rose's turn, where she's kind of turning around and and revealing herself. Like that is the big number for, yeah. uh, for that character. It, I especially like if if you could make that somehow like a like musically like a reprise of like a really like jaunty upbeat song she's done where she's talking about her time as a as a pageant queen yeah in in years gone by but in a minor key yeah but then, yeah you just put it in a minor key. <laughs> <laughs> we then go back we go back to uh, uh, Charity Fidelity Justice and she's just listing yeah. off Charity Fidelity Justice this is what I do to you uh, yeah. but, but we find out that Charity Fidelity and Justice are the na- names of three women she's murdered yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it love oh it. dear um, at which point we come to the number which can only be called oh dear I've eaten some shellfish and it's made my tummy hurt <laughs> Uh, that's this, I mean, well, this is I, the... I want I want all of those queens actually being sick on stage I want yeah. there to be so much vegetable soup used <laughs> that it's just spurted out in various spots obviously it's got to be highly choreographed but that is going yeah. to be an absolute sick fest I would love to have someone being sick over the side of the front of the stage just yes. by the audience not on them but just by them I think that would be golden I love fucking with an audience that way um yeah there's i mean that has to be the big it's almost like it's a song but it doesn't become a song because they're just all being sick so they kind of start yeah. to try singing but, and yeah just like, 
Because I, I'm thinking, because I'm thinking of what you said earlier, Caleb, about maybe we sort of wrap up that sort of epilogue a bit quicker than the film does. I'm also thinking, I think this is quite long, what we've just sort of discussed. Like, yes. it's longer than the film by <laughs> yeah. a long oh, way. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so I wonder whether there's this sort of, like, montage song, which has that moment, Max, where we kind of get to this sort of thing that's maybe supposed to be a verse or a chorus, and then it's just everyone throwing up. Um, but, but actually, we sort of condense the whole epilogue into one number yeah and a long number like yeah you know like one of these like those crazy like 12 minute numbers where it just like it's like scene to scene and then yeah you can have like a two minute dance break which is just you know young women throwing up on stage (laughs) absolutely absolutely and then i feel like yeah we get this sort of and then we get to the nationals uh because so if you haven't seen the film everyone gets food poisoning so she wins by default um which again just get get it succeeding because other people fail um but she, it's but, the american way isn't it that's yeah. um and then uh she goes to nationals oh and well then she becomes a reporter but i was thinking maybe we have this sort of thing of of the nationals where everyone goes crazy and there's loads of noise and then she sort of like stops it and she has a nice solo at the end yeah that was sort of my i mean my the thought. other the other thing is is that you you either kind of have that whole uh, nationals thing of the the company goes bust and nobody wins and she kind of trudges back onto the bus or the the nationals is where Kirsty Alley's character escapes from prison yeah that the national final then becomes that showdown where she's on top of the building and she's trying to take amber out <laughs> uh, and that's where that whole journey for to her becoming the next diane sawyer begins yes um, so there's there's kind of two options there that i think like you say could kind of wrap that up in a slightly kind of neater and quicker way so that we don't have to introduce yet another setting and we just kind of combine that and we go right we're going to another a slightly bigger flashier finals but that's where kirstie alley gets her revenge yeah yeah i like that i'm just realizing we never talked about how to block the caravan but i think what we do is we just don't blow it up we just say we go to the hospital straight away and we sort of just say what happened yeah or yeah, you, yeah. you even like I don't know. Would it be too cheap to like use the found footage, the same found footage gag, on stage and project it somewhere or something? Or I don't know. We have room for projection here. I think the rig is full. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the the other the other thing is is that you that you hear the explosion because you know, like she's um uh, she says that uh, one minute I was just sat in the caravan and the next thing I was flying through the air. Yeah. So you could have the explosion and then you just get like a dummy literally flying across the stage from one side <laughs> to the other. And it's literally just full on comedy bullshit of like a, a body flying through the yeah. air like a fucking long dart. Uh, and I think that would be the way that I would kind of go for it because it's stupid. Yeah. No, I'm here for that. <laughs> All right. Brilliant. Well, that's our musical, isn't it? I think we've done it. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, for the second week in a row, I'm just thinking, what have we made? (laughs) Magic. Magic. Magic, yeah. (laughs) No, but the the thing is, it's so like, it's such silly, crazy fun. I think it would, I think it would work. And I think it's that thing as well of like, to go back to like Legally Blonde, like I think Legally Blonde works way better as a musical than it does as a film. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, I think this would be the same. I think it's a great film. I think it's so funny, but I think there's so much more you could like ring out of it as a musical. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and like, I don't know. I think it's got 
stuff to offer us now you know if we yeah. can update so much of <laughs> the comedy <laughs> i think yeah, there's still like so much update there, it and there's so much of it that, that would need to be changed but i think with a good adapter you could kind of go okay what are the things that we could like i said what are the things that we could pick out of of america that are interesting for now yeah um, yeah that is a kind of satirical look at it um, yes whilst also maintaining its brilliant chaotic ridiculous campness that that would be really ideal <laughs> absolutely it's brilliant um is there anything else that you you wanted to think about I, with it, I think we've covered a lot <laughs> we have we've covered we've covered a whole lot uh well in which case thank you so much max that we, i've really enjoyed that have you enjoyed it it's my pleasure i've always wanted to turn this film into a musical i still have hopes that i could at some point i think I it still would work <laughs> um uh, and if anybody is thinking about doing it i will kirsty alley your asses and i will blow you up on a thresher <laughs> just so you're aware <laughs> well uh, as we always say uh, all, all ideas on the maybe like it podcast are copyright yeah uh, whoever so... the guests are and ourselves so uh <laughs> so if, you have, if you use any of those ideas those like those ideas that are obviously the thing you would do if you were turning this into a musical then you have broken i was gonna say if you use any of the plot you mentioned the plot here so you've got a stick there um well, well let's, yeah. let's say there is like some crazy investor who's like listen to the episode and they they're they're ready to turn you know turn this into a musical and they think who better to do it than max Lindsay? where wow. where would they find you online uh, you can find me on all of the socials. Uh, I think Instagram is MaxLindsay85. Twitter is just MaxLindsay. That's actually all the socials that I have. Uh, so, yeah, come find. Say hello. Let's talk camp and, classics like this. And that's MaxLindsay. Lindsay spelled L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. Is that right? It is indeed. Yes. Well, correct. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, you can Caleb, read it from Ca- the laptop. Caleb, yeah, all right. <laughs> but, but the listeners can't. Um, uh but it felt weird that I was saying it for him. Anyway, um, Caleb, you, it was a brilliant segue just now, but you did forget to ask Max what he's up to right now uh, and um, where people can find stuff that he's doing uh, other than tweeting. Uh, Max, what are you up to? Um, so just having just finished Fisherman's Friends, uh, that will be uh, having another life next year. So come and see Fisherman's Friends. Uh, working on a, a couple of other musicals that I uh, that I can't mention just yet, um, but also hopefully got a um, a play in a very different vein uh, about county lines and the way that middle-class drug use props up um, uh, a, a very vicious world. Uh, that's actually surprisingly funny as well because we poke fun at those middle-class casual drug users who are actually vegans and sit there and rack up a line whilst talking about how much they love being a vegan. Uh, so there's, um, yeah, lots of satirical fun to be found in that as well. And that will hopefully be happening next year too. Brill. That sounds awesome. What's what's that called? Uh, there is not a title as yet. Um, ah. I'm still working on that. At the moment, is at uh, the moment is out of town or OT, um, uh, as uh, that's the way that it's described when you go, uh, yeah, go on a county line. Well, in which case, people can people can find you on on the internet as previously described, and they will they will find it when when it comes around um yes, caleb indeed. where can people find you online i am on twitter instagram and letterboxd at caleb lebster that's c-a-l-e-b-l-e-b-s-t-e-r jake where can people find you online people can find me incredibly messily on twitter <laughs> at 
Jake underscore Mori, or on Instagram at Jakey Mori, or frustratingly on Letterboxd at Jake Reesh. That's R E E S H, and Mori is spelled M O R R Y. There we go. It's messy and chaotic. I'm very sorry. I changed my name, and it's all gone to crap. Um, it's it fitting for the film and the episode. <laughs> Max, before we started recording, you said you were going to be really sweary, but you haven't been at all. I've done very well. No, you've done very well. I'm disappointed in myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, that was my socials, but we are Maybe You Like It Productions, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe You Like It, that's with the letter U, or on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions, that's with the word U, or you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk, or drop us an email at info at maybeyoulikeit.co.uk tell us what you thought of the episode maybe you are that producer who wants to stage this film Um, get in touch yeah Um, also uh, leave us a review and a rating wherever it is you are listening to us right now please it really does help Uh, and otherwise maybe you like that maybe you didn't That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it, maybe you didn't.